You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar. Coming at you on Sirius Raw Dog XM99 and on the Riotcast Podcast Network. Dan Natterman here, coming to you from my quarantine location on the Upper East Side with Noam Dorman, owner of the Comedy Cellar, the once and future greatest comedy club in America, along with Perry Brand, the producer, and our guest today... Bernie Fabricant, not only an old, old, old friend of Gnomes, a friend of uh, Gnomes going back to the 80s, I think. He is a he's a uh, administrative law judge in Massachusetts or something like that. That's correct. And he is one of the readers, I don't know how many there were, but of, of Periel's book, her memoir, On My Knees, A Young Girl's Sexually, Sexual Awakening. That, sub, that subtitle is mine. Not, it's not what it is about... Well, it's called On My Knees, and uh, so I just assumed. It's worth noting that, I mean, you're, you're just making that up, though. Uh, yes, but I assume that it's about, <laughs> there's a sexuality involved. But we're going to get to the, we're going to discuss the book with Bernie, because he actually read the book. First of all, Bernie, you're, uh, just to introduce you a little more fully, you're a, um, one, of the, one of our super fans here at Live from the Table. That's correct. I've been on board since day one. As a matter of fact, I was going through my, my computer the other day, and I found, I think, the first episode that had David Tell as a guest from uh, 2014, I want to say. Those were in the dark ages before Periel. We, we don't, That's we don't, right. That didn't even count. I've been through all the iterations. I haven't missed one yet. As a matter of fact, when Gnome, I was honored by this, when Gnome uh, first signed on with Sirius uh, Radio, he asked me for an overview of all the shows thus far to pick out the best ones so he could put together his... Uh, his pitch for them as far as how we would approach the show on the radio. Really? Interesting. By the way, before we get in more into Perel's book, I do want to address uh, what happened on the last episode that I did with Noam. I, I abandoned the show about, uh, well, I think it was almost done anyway, but um, I apologize. Was done, but then we decided to talk about you for another 20 minutes. Well, at least I gave you something to talk about that I think was a little bit uh, interesting. Um, <laughs> It just all hit me at once. The show was going on too long. I felt that every topic was unrelated to the previous topic. Uh, I thought that also I wasn't getting my thoughts in. And um, uh, and there is no God. So all that hit me at one time. And um, But I apologize. That was not uh, appropriate behavior. So I can't say it won't happen again because you know me. Every now and again, uh, things happen. But we'll, we'll, we'll try to avoid future uh, tantrums of the sort. Let us talk to Bernie about... Wait, but first, also, we're going to try to make sure that when Dan's trying to get a sentence out, that he can do so, right? Oh, he was interrupting me. Here we go. This well, was who, who interrupted who is not really the issue here. The, the I think the show was dragging on too long and too incoherently. I think we should have cut it off at about an hour, an hour and 15 Ooh. And leave the people wanting more. It just it just seemed like everything that was brought up had little to do with the previous thing that was brought up. So that was one of my frustrations. Anyway. I um, like that last background note. Nice. Yeah, I like that too. The guitar one? Yeah. Yeah, but it looks it looks better with it when I'm in color. It'll actually look like I'm sitting there if I put the whole thing in color, but I I don't want to fuck with it now. So go ahead, you guys go. Well, uh, Bernie, do you have you finished the book? Yeah, of course. For the, this is the book that it's a very out. It's a breezy read. I, I finished it in a couple of nights. Uh, as you can imagine, I read legal briefs all day, very dense stuff. And I, as a super fan of the show, I keep hearing uh, the plugs for the books at the end of the show. And so after one show, I thought, oh, I'll give that a spin because I, I don't know much about Periel. I'm familiar with the show. And I thought it would be interesting to see what makes her tick. So I went on Amazon. The only one they had was on my knees. So I, I bought that and I started reading it. And I have to say, it's I'm clearly not the demographic for this thing, but uh, I was fascinated. I couldn't put it down. By the way, uh, Perio, when when was this published uh, initially? 
Well, actually, it's funny. My book party for the launch of the book was almost seven years ago to the day. Can you all see that? Yeah, bold and sassy. And totally fucking cool. If truth and comedy is my mantra, then the goddess I pray to is Periel Ashenbrand, says Leslie Arfin, Arf Arfin, author of Dear Diary and senior writer for Girls, which I guess is a magazine. Girls was a show with Lena Dunham. Oh, okay, right, right, yes, that's- A little show, a little show. Periel, I noticed that there's plastic on that couch. Is that part of the joke? So that was my grandmother's couch when my- grandmother died i began illegally squatting in her apartment because i had just broken up with my boyfriend and that was really her couch um although it came in handy that plastic cover for this notion of memoirs <laughs> I, I know that um was it was it was it uh, um what was her name that wrote prozac nation liz elizabeth um, wordsell elizabeth wordsell was it was it that book prozac nation that sort of spawn the generation of, of uh, angst-ridden young women and their memoirs. Uh, she popularized the memoir genre, I think. She, di she did. Um, she did. Although mine is not an angst-ridden memoir, for whatever I was going to say that, yeah. yeah. This is more of a Catherine Bushnell, Candy, Candace Bushnell kind of a book. I, I was wondering, as I was reading it, uh, Periel, did you have an elevator pitch for this with your publisher? Because I have one for you if you don't. Um, like now, it's already been published. Well, go, give it to me. I was going to say, this is uh, Sex in the City meets Yentl. Mmm. That's good. Yeah, see? And, and I, I still think you can use it, because if you haven't done so yet, I really do, honestly, I'm not trying to blow smoke, I really do think this is a good treatment for some sort of a rom-com if you wanted to go that route and get this into a movie. I actually sent that in a text to uh, Dan and Noam about that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> that actually was always the plan, was to um, turn this into a TV series. What I wasn't planning on was being nine months pregnant when it came out. Ah. So I looked like that on the cover, but then I would show up at these like interviews looking like I had eaten myself. Well, you don't have to play you if it were going to be a TV series. You could no, that. but you, I, I mean, I, I couldn't function. Like, I, I absolutely wouldn't play me. But um, you have to be able to, you know, be like a person. Brian, I thought you said she wanted to play herself. Well, no, this is a, well, you want to go through the top five? Because I had to. Well, let's go through. Yes. Bernie sent us a list of five talking points with regard to the book. So why don't we, why don't we go through them? Um, should I introduce them, Bernie, or you'll just introduce them yourself? Uh, well, I always thought it'd be fun when you do it, Dan, because I... Well, okay, Bernie, that, so. Bernie, in reading the book, he notes that all conventional literary structure is completely out the window. <laughs> uh, Bill has... Instead of saying, for example, Bill hesitated, but then said it would... The entire book is narrated as if you were sitting next to her at a salon. So I was like, and then she was like, etc. So uh, not necessarily a bad thing from Bernie's point of view, but it was a very, I guess, just... Um, no, he, he, found, he found it disconcerting. It was, to me, it was disconcerting, because when I, I'm used to reading books where they said, and then Bill turned around and looked me in the eye and said, but throughout the, she uses, I was like, and he was like, and they were like, and... That's so I, ma so I imagine Tom, Tom Sawyer really disturbed you, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> that, by the way, is called a quotative like. Yes. And um, non-native English speakers have, a, have some difficulty with it. Right, but again, so it, with that sort of, uh, with that structure in mind, I was thinking, well, if you made a movie out of this, the movie treatment that Dan would write of this book would have you opening up the book, you'd be sitting in a salon talking to your girlfriends about something that happened, and, you, and you'd start, and it would get all hazy, and you'd say, well, we gotta go back to this, and then you'd start the narrative, and then you would say things like, you know, it would be punctuated by your narration where you would say, oh, I was like, and, and, and then he was like, and then, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's meant to be um, conversational. So, it, you know, it, it's very, I think, informal in tone. Yeah, no, I, and I think I mentioned in the, in the thing here that uh, it, it fit, the, it fit the, the genre. It wasn't shocking that way. It just, well, something I wasn't the dirty used. stuff. Okay, so yeah, let's sure. get to the content of the book. What, what were some of the things? 
first of all, you say Periel, in reading the book, is convinced that everyone wants to hook up with her, according to Steve's interpretation of the book. Every minute of the day. Who's everyone Steve? she meets. Everyone wants to hook up with you. Is that book. true, Periel? Who's Steve? No, you meant Bernie. You meant Bernie, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, wait, that's funny. Bernie's. Right, right, right. Um, Bernie's a bit older. I don't... I think... I'm 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 trying to think because I haven't read it. Um, I I don't know. I think it's more. I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a literal read. I think that there is something. I mean, I'm 44 now, and the book came out seven years ago. And so when I was writing it, you know, I was in my early 30s. Um, and I would say, did I, did I do that math right now? Did I get that? <laughs> well, you, you, it, For a Jewish girl, that was perfect. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you, you, I don't know when you started writing it or how long it took. Well, I'm you. telling you when I started writing it. I started writing it when I was 37. 31. I started oh, writing oh, it when I was long, 31. A long time. Well, yeah, it takes a while to write it, and then your agent has to sell it. And then once they sell it, it takes about a year to fucking publish it. You know, HarperCollins. Change the subject. Do you think everybody wants to... to no, well, I'm not changing the subject. I'm saying that, yeah, I mean, I think that what... It's not that everybody wants to wanted to hook up with me. I think that when you're navigating... gonna his head's going to fall off now. But I think that when you're navigating your life as a young, attractive, you know, 30-something-year-old... Yeah, um, but, but you. We're talking about you, Perry. Yes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I'm talking about me. I think that that's something that you have... To, that I had to contend with that was... Um, you know, it's sort of... First of all, it's sort of tedious... I mean, at first, it's it is. Don't make that face. It's right. true. Um, you have no idea what that's like. That sounds it, awful. It is awful. Well, it probably is awful when is you awful think that somebody is trying to, wants to work with you or thinks that you're talented and all you wants to do is stick it in. I would imagine that could be, you know... Annoying. It's totally um, tedious. You're walking into a meeting. You've been busting your ass. You wrote a book or a screenplay or whatever. And then, you know, some fucking jerk off guy is like, wow, I didn't know they made hot writers. Like, imagine Bernie walking into a courtroom and being like, wow, I didn't know they made hot judges. Well, Bernie, uh, I, okay, it's I, hard I, to get used to, but it happens all the time. <laughs> I will. I will accept that. Uh, that. Uh, that. Yeah. You, you're not taken seriously for whatever reason in life. You feel like people are not taking you seriously. That can be. Um, that can be upsetting. But on the whole, the people who've gone through life hot and attractive that everybody wanted to to, to hook up with would not trade places with the people who nobody wants, who, who, who were not in that situation. In, no matter what, That's no not matter the, what, I think, I think. That I, wasn't the question. The question was, is, did you feel like everybody was trying to hook up with you? And it's not that everybody was trying to hook up with me, although a lot of people were. And yeah. to be fair, I hooked up with a lot of them. That's, now, that's now, my <laughs> next thing on the list, actually. <laughs> what would cause you not to hook up with somebody back in those days? Um, I mean, probably if I wasn't attracted to them. Yeah. Well, we, we what, had, we had, go ahead, Dan. We had Ophira Eisenberg uh, did our podcast a few years ago. She wrote a book called Fuck Everyone. And it was a book about her being promiscuous, or if you don't want to use that, whatever the most of sex positive, however you want to qualify it. And I said, she didn't specify the number of men she had had sex with in the book, but I said, well, how many men have you had sex with? And she said, 40. And I, I thought to myself, well, that's certainly a, a, a nice number, but if you're going to call your book Fuck Everyone, 40 seems a little bit um, unimpressive. 40's a lot. Well, but 40's a lot for your average person, but you're going to write a book called Fuck Everyone. You know, if I wrote a book called, you know, um, my, you know, the Confessions of a Champion Boxer and I, and I, I, and I was a decent um, amateur... <laughs> I don't know if it merits a book. And, and I think that 40 is an impressive number, but I don't think it merits a book. Will Chamberlain claims to have slept with 20,000 women. That's insane. And his book was, and his book was about basketball. Now, it wasn't even title, talent. The title was Boy Am I Tired, wasn't it? <laughs> so, now, so is 40 a number that you uh, <laughs> surpassed? Um, I don't think so, but 
I mean, I don't, I don't think that I ever really thought of myself as particularly promiscuous. Right, no, your mean, book's not about that. I'm just, that's a separate question. Um, I, I was just uh, talking about- My parents a- might watch this. Um, here's the thing. I learned at, like, when I was, like, 19 or 18 years old with, like, the second guy I ever had sex with that, um, you know, there was nothing more in it for him except for just fucking- and so I realized at a very young age or that, you know, that's all it is. And so, and that's all it has to be. And I think that girls generally don't learn that. For you guys take it for granted. Like you fuck somebody, you get up, you leave. But for us, we okay. have this like emotional attachment that. You go ahead, Burnworth. I, I was going to say that might be Dan's life. Uh, <laughs> I, don't re- I don't recall ever getting an easy glide path on that one, but <laughs> um, I'm going to let you off the hook a little bit, Barry, because you don't have to let me off the hook. But I'm saying well, I think I took that with me, and I think that that was a really valuable thing. Well, if well, you can do it, not I don't think everybody's built that way emotionally to to, to be able to have sex without any any feeling behind it, you know, attached to it. When I said to let you off the hook, what I, my observation was there's more to it than just you thinking everybody wants to have sex with you. My, it, it, it comes packaged with this confidence that you have throughout the book. You have a certain moxie, right? Mm-hmm. And it comes, from the, yes. it comes from the confidence of knowing you know, that you're attractive in the world, that you, but you have these other gifts, obviously, that you think you can share with the world. You're a writer. You don't want to be just taken at face value, but you know you have that in your arsenal of things. Right. But, but the flip side of that is you talk about it an awful lot and in the book. And very, very, very sexual. I've, I got that vibe pretty much straight away when I met her. That's I'm not saying, interesting. Uh, you know, uh, she's, I, you know, sex positive, whatever the word you want to use. Is that, um, you know, a lot of Jewish girls seem, uh, seem to be like that. I don't you know see that all the time. Is that true? Is that like a thing? All I know is every time there's a book about sexuality or sexual awakening, it's a Jewish woman that wrote it. Now, maybe that's just because Jews like to write books. But um, it does seem to be something that, you know, um, Dr. Dr. Ruth is Jewish, for example. Um, Well, I guess that there is a kind of power that comes with that knowledge, right? which, Which knowledge are we talking about now? that people want to fuck you. Yeah, okay. Although I will say, and I actually do, I have like a joke about this that I do, you know, usually pretty early on in the beginning of um, my, when I'm performing is that, you know, I never took advantage of that. I never had sex with Maybe you should have called your book with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys use that power in a different way, right? Like you get to become wealthy and old and then get beautiful young women to sleep with you. No, we're all married. I'm married 31 years, Perriel. I uh... Well, I mean, you know, the exception doesn't defeat the, uh, you know, n- negate the rule. No, it's but true, anyway, right? I said I never had sex with second wives by now. First of all, Juanita is young, much younger than you and gorgeous, and she always was younger than you and gorgeous, right? No, she wasn't always younger than me, but she was always gorgeous. <laughs> Certainly always more gorgeous than him. Juanita's um, 10 years younger than me, so that, is that much younger than me? I don't know. 11 years. 11 I months. mean, it's not nothing. Not nothing, no. According <laughs> to a Jewish girl's math. But, but what see, I was going to say is I never had sex with anyone who could have advanced my career. I never took advantage of that. And I had a lot of opportunities to. And um, I always say, and you know, when I look at my life now, I can't tell you how much I regret that. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So that characteristic brings us to the Philip Roth story, which yes. Noam brought up on a prior show and you didn't want to elaborate on. Right. But so it's it's funny it's funny to walk through that with the understanding that you thought you could pretty much anybody was attainable to you. Right. right? So this, I don't, you want to tell what happens? No, go ahead. Read an excerpt. So, uh, 
I, I don't have an excerpt. Well, by this up, time, but, Philip Roth was an older guy. I mean, you know. Oh, he, clearly. Well, he died a couple of years later, right? So it wasn't, you know, I mean, he wasn't around for very much longer. But anyway, uh, Ariel, uh, Periel went to a, um, a publisher's party with her then boyfriend who was a big muckety-muck in the publishing world. And Philip Roth was one of the guests there. And she, of course, she writes that she got very excited knowing this as a writer and to meet someone like Philip Roth, of course, is a big deal. And she sort of has this, I don't know if you remember the movie Tom Jones, but she sort of has this Tom Jones moment with him at the table where he sits down and he meets her and he uh, apparently is very taken with her looks and, and engages her in conversation. And he's eating a big bowl of cherries and he starts sharing these cherries with Periel at the table. Am I getting this right so far, Periel? Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, a little bit. It's okay. okay. We're all in his 70s by this time, or yes, well into his 70s. Oh. We've totally lost Gnome here. Now you don't have to feel bad for leaving oh, last so, um, no, Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Philip Roth sounds so. Going. While this is going on, Periel is, is telling the reader she's having this thought that I could, I could absolutely sleep with this guy anytime I want. This is this is gonna, I can make this happen. And so the thing with the cherries is going on. And then at some point in the evening, they part company. And he, I think, I'm not sure if they trade information or if you get it after the fact, you find out where he lives after the fact or whatever. He wrote, da he wrote down his address for me. Right. And you couldn't wait to tell your mother. This is the other part. Of it. You couldn't wait to tell your mother that you, you almost screwed Philip Roth. Right. And your mother is in complete disbelief. And you yeah. say, no, really, Ma, he was there. I could have done it. So then what you do is you went out and you researched where the best cherries in the country are and you put in an order, I can't remember if it was like Iowa or something, and you sent him a basket full of cherries from this revered cherry place. Yeah. Thinking all the while that he will see this grand gesture and he will make haste to get in, get in touch with you. Right. And then it's all hearts and flowers from that. Right. And then he's going to write the intro to my next book. That was, that was the plan. Is that what you were after here? You were after a conquest or you were after a, a connection in the publishing world? Um, I, I mean, I think I was after a conquest, but it wasn't lost on me that having, you know, endorsement by, you know, arguably one of the most important writers, American writers of, you know, the 20th century, wouldn't hurt my career as an Isn't, author. Do you think that that's a fair characterization of his status? I mean... Yeah. I mean, it's not my characterization of his status. Oh, I, I, yeah. Philip Roth, he's an American treasure, or was an American treasure. I mean, yeah, I mean, for sure. Okay. Absolutely. I'm not sure I'm understanding this book. The book is called On My Knees, and it's got a picture of Periel... Lingerie. Uh, in lingerie on the cover. And I'm hearing a bunch of near misses. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> What I want to hear what happens in this book. Well, did, did, so you you never, know what would be super helpful, Noam? And then I almost, I could have, well, I could have banged Philip Roth, but I didn't. Oh, oh, that's a page turner. So you never, you never, you never hooked up with Philip Roth. I want to hear who she hooked up with, what it was like, what was she was thinking, what with the whole thing. I want to hear what's in this book. Well, what, you know, be really, you know how you could really remedy that. No, we're doing a you show here. You fucking read knees. it. I mean, you can just knees. fucking read it on the toilet. Okay, so right now, on right my knees is an unmistakable blowjob reference. Let's get to it. <laughs> Either that or it's about protesting uh, the Star American National Anthem. It's um, it's a double entendre. First of all, it's not just a blowjob reference. But anyway, okay. So, let's just take let's just take the first part of that double entendre. Uh, so. So yeah, so I find out, so first of all, he was incredibly flirtatious. I mean, he was really like over the top. And I figured out, like you said, Bernie, where I could get, you know, the best cherries in America. And I found this farm and I sent them to him and he wrote down his address for me, which I actually um, was just in my apartment in the city the other day. And I took a picture of it because I knew that Noam would be like, he didn't really write his address down for you. Oh, you know me so well. That really was the part of the story <laughs> that I was really going to focus on. Um, anyway, so I sent him this huge basket of cherries and um, I never heard back from him. But even had you bedded him, how, how impressive is it really for almost any young girl to bet a man in their 70s? You, I, mean, I think it depends who that man is. Uh, how about the Pope? How about, how about like Mick Jagger? Impressive. 
I don't know that Jagger would be that impressive. I think Jagger would be anybody. He, you know, he may not call you back the next day. Right. Yeah. Is, there any, is there any actual sex in his book or not? Yeah, well, she talks about having sex all the time. I'll and she, she also has a foil named Hannah, her best friend. Yeah. Who she also puts some weird sexual proclivities on. But, but here's the thing. So the, the focus is on really three great loves in her life. Right? Noam. Yeah. Uh, who's the other one? And Noam Guy. and another man named Noam. Another man named Noam. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the publisher guy. Nico. Uh, Nico and uh, Guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you, married, and you married Guy. Yeah. Okay. So it's a lot of that. It's, and she talks about her butthole a lot. Yes. <laughs> and she's very fastidious with her anus. This is... <laughs> Well, this I, is something that I've never seen in print before. Not even Portnoy's complaint talks about this kind of thing. If I don't Which, hear about some sex soon. No, it's not a book all about sex. I mean, all about, a little bit about. Is there any sex in this book? Yes. Does it talk about what you were thinking while you were having sex? I don't, I actually don't remember. It's been a minute. Does it talk about what position you were in? Does it tell anything? Does it tell like whether you had an orgasm or not? Something about sex? I think you're looking for, like, go to like um, xxwhatevern.com. I mean, it's not pornography. But it's called On My Knees. It's got to have right, at least but, uh, one sexual a, chapter. I think Godfather has a great sex scene, and that's about gangsters. It's got, a, it's got some. Why don't you read the fucking book and get back to me? Okay, easy, easy. Oh, yeah, but we accept that the show is going on now. <laughs> and Noam apparently, I, I, you know, uh, insists on hearing a, a sexual anecdote from the book. Okay, forget about it. Okay, let's um, hope. No, I'm really, uh, I don't know if, I, if I'm going to read You know, Periel, on the last episode I did with Dove, the bonus episode, Periel told a very disturbing story about her anus that, that I didn't need to hear. Um, <laughs> quite honestly, um, I don't know that Dove, I, Dove, I haven't spoken to him about it, but what his reaction was, he, he was polite about it. I don't know that he wasn't equally as troubled as me but um it was he she apparently periel had a doctor's appointment for a hemorrhoid and and she had to but it was via um the internet like it was a, a tele telemedicine so she had to put her butt again uh, you know facing the camera i found the whole story very disturbing <laughs> to be that, that kind of thing is in the book she talks about how she's bent over in half in front of a mirror with a flashlight and uh, and a pair of tweezers and uh, just trying to, uh, I, I quite frankly, I'm not sure still what you were trying to do down there. But then after she does it, then she has a little discussion about it with her boyfriend. And then, you know, goes back to that. There's a lot of stuff about the anus that's uh, a little bit much for me. My daughter did that to me when she was like five or had something on her, you know, vagina. That was, I don't know what it was. And she couldn't see it. So she comes back, she gives me, she hands me my phone. She says, Daddy, take a picture of it for me. Because <laughs> she wants me to take it so she can see it. She wants the picture. I'm like, no, I'm not taking a picture. Like, you, you go to your mother. Go to your mother right now. I'm not taking a picture. Leave me the, the, like, so, it was so like sweet and naive. Like, take a picture, Daddy. I can't see it. Anyway, but she wasn't 34. <laughs> I don't you're, not, you're not in your 30s in the book. You're in your 20s in the book, no? Um, or I think the impression you were younger. No, I was in no, I was in my um, early thirties, late late twenties. I don't. I mean, I don't think that we should be embarrassed to talk about these things. Like, I don't. You know, it's like it's fine. Theoretically, not, it's not a big deal. Like, it's okay. Maybe, maybe it's. I'm the, sure all three of you have had hemorrhoids. There's no reason why. Maybe it's the. It's, maybe, it's the oh, maybe I'm a little old fashioned. Maybe you could even regard it as a misogynistic. But I feel that a lady should be. A, a lady. And yeah, that that would be misogyny. That would that would be the definition. And of not talk about. Uh, that's not the definition of misogynistic. You don't hate men if you think they should be masculine. Um. Look. You know, like for example, we had Lindsay Jennings on uh, um, a couple of episodes ago. A lovely girl, beautiful girl, but she started talking about farting, and and she lost me. Um. You know, there's certain topics that when women talk about it, I kind of just, I get a little bit. Yeah, I didn't even find it believable when she said she farts. <laughs> well, no, she said that a man, one of his fetishes was farting and that she, he wanted her to fart 
or something like that. This is the suicide girl? It's the suicide girl. Yeah. yeah. All right, first of all, I'm not buying it. All right, first of all, you say we should be able to talk about it. But we should. It's not, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, but the reason... Okay, but there's, a, there's an inherent contradiction in what you're saying because you get mileage out of talking about it because you know that it's a forbidden subject. Like, if it was just like a mundane topic, like washing your car, which is kind of what you're pretending it ought to be, or clipping your nails, you wouldn't even talk about it. It's like not interesting. But you know it's interesting. It is interesting. Because you're not supposed to talk about it. And like, we should just talk about this, but we then you use that to reel people it. in. You're, you're right. That's true. But I mean, that's not like disingenuous. Like, okay, yeah. I mean, I think it is interesting. I it's also interesting, but it shouldn't be embarrassing. That's what you're yeah. saying. What I'm saying yeah. is it's neither interesting and it is embarrassing. At least that's how that's that that's how I react to it. Uh, here's the thing. I think that as how do you get a hemorrhoid? Well, one of the ways that you can get a hemorrhoid is from having hemorrhoid. anal sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've never had that. I mean, not, not a well, way that Ariel perhaps has. Pregnancy and is another one. A lot of pregnant yes. women get hemorrhoids. Pregnant from being pregnant. Um, Why would you think we had hemorrhoids? Think think this this loop took place before your pregnancy. So if we're going to do process of elimination. <laughs> Is there any anal sex in the book, Bernie? Uh, there's a lot of discussion about it, yes. She doesn't describe it blow by blow, but, you know, it's, it's implied. Look, no, I'm so disappointed. And you can just get it from um, going to the bathroom. S straining, I believe, is, the, uh, meta is what, the, what the proctologist will tell you. Here's uh -huh. the thing. There are certain things. I mean, what Dan's saying is very true, and maybe it goes back to what Bernie's original point was. It's yeah. like there are certain ways <laughs> that you are expected to behave when you look like I did when I was, you know, in my 20s and 30s, and I never subscribed to any of those things, and I don't like that, and I felt like, really um like it's really offensive to be expected to be a certain way and act a certain way and you're not supposed to say certain things and you're not supposed to act a certain way and it's all manufactured and it's all bullshit and so noam you're right i mean i am interested in those things but not gratuitously i mean not just for shock value but because i genuinely think that um it's bullshit isn't there something inherent in, in humans which finds these certain things kind of embarrassing? It doesn't every culture in some way well, emphasize these things? Every culture has... Probably, but I think what Periel's getting at is the, is the difference the, between how we perceive when men talk about... Like if David Tell talked about it, you know, it'd, it'd be a lot... We'd find it a lot less disagreeable, I think. For uh, sure. At least I would, but, you know... That is, we expect women to be not to talk about these things. And so, you know, you're supposed to be like prim and proper and look hot and like be sexy and like all that stuff is fucking bullshit. Well, you and still so, want to be sexy. I have have you seen the cover of your book? I think you can be sexy if you want to be sexy, but that doesn't mean that you can't be those other things also. All right. You can be sexy and have hemorrhoids. I, I agree with you, actually. Maybe not at the same time. <laughs> well, you can, but just keep it on the DL. But why? No, don't keep it on the DL. But, you know, people like me, backwards thinking perhaps, people like me will have a visceral reaction that is, uh, you know. But not if David Tell said it. Yeah, if David tells it, it'd be, it'd be funny, yeah, it'd be funny. Okay, so Periel has a very high review rating on Amazon here. Look at how surprised he is. Um, but I, um, I rated, I have these filtered um, one star only. So let's read the one star reviews. <laughs> it says, oh, fun. <laughs> uh, it says, uh, Sampling. a verified purchaser. Oh, where do I begin? Nothing feels authentic. Somehow it reads like amateur fiction. And I think the reason is that it lacks depth. None of the characters really come to life. I could also have done without the imagery of her anal region. None uh, of the questions that read. Oh, well, actually, I wrote that. To shock people. Her first book is quite a disappointment. Number, there's only three one stars. Was that, a, was that a man or a woman writing that? No. Mom, mom too. I don't know. That's a good question. Probably a woman. I, this seems like a, a book that pretty much women bought. My that's, guess. I, that's actually not true. Okay, okay I'm wrong. Not if, not if you but judge a book by its cover. Men bought that. Uh, Elisa 
gross. This girl does not. I couldn't get through this book because the writer thinks so highly of herself and is, is such a disgusting bitch. Save your money and read How to Murder Your Life by Kat Marnell. Okay. And finally. Oh my God, that's amazing. I was Kat Marnell that wrote that review. Okay. And the last book is Time Wasted by Amazon customer. Probably one of the most ridiculous books I've ever slogged through. Amazon should pay me. <laughs> Okay, so having said that, I should probably read the five-star reviews because there's way, way, way... How many more. reviews are there for this book? 40-something reviews. Okay, so here's the thing. Not, I mean, that's not a... You know, there are like... There are like reviews by like actual um, people who are, you know, do that for a living that I take a little bit more seriously than... Um, you know, I mean, every book, has, every book has bad reviews. I mean, even, even I have, listen, I would not be doing my job properly if I wasn't getting bad reviews. Um, that second one that you read is amazing. I wish I'd known that because I would have put it on my press kit. So, okay. Hilarious and unapologetic. Periel's self-analysis is scrupulous and bluntly honest. It is a delight to hear the grim reality of one's life be told in such a loud and eloquent voice. The author's sharp tongue annihilates all taboos with disarming truthlessness. She's so fucking refreshing, really. Rarely do you see such self-awareness be put to so much good use in one's life. Periel rises from the dead back to her fearless self as she sheds many layers of trauma. Okay, make a note, trauma. And ultimately lets go of the sofa's plastic cover. Periel's wit and charm brilliantly withstand much floundering. Her character is loving and full of positive energy. Eventually, love has the best of her because she is worthy of it. Well, I'll tell you, whoever wrote that review is a pretty good writer. Bernie Fabricant. That's amazing. I've never read any of these. That is so nice. But, you know, oh, this is a nice one. Periel Ashenbrand makes me feel a little less pathetic, and I love her for that. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. How many, how many copies did you sell, Periel? Do you know? I don't know. They don't tell you how many. Um, I, I mean, actually, they do tell you. I don't know. I think they printed like 40,000 copies, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Maybe 30,000 copies, which is, you know, respectable for some girl who grew up in Queens, but you know, it's not Stephen King. Um, grows up and saves herself and still gets the prince. Periel is a very good and funny raconteur. What does raconteur make? Storyteller? Storyteller. Storyteller, yeah. Well, just here, here are some people that grew up in Queens. Uh, Paul Simon, 50 Cent, uh, Andy Warhol, Cindy Lauper, Madonna, Kobe Bryant. I don't know that the fact that you're from Queens uh, is- uh, Well, I just- any uh, any more impressive queens is a pretty uh i just meant i wasn't like you know groomed um you know i i wasn't a celebrity who had some huge platform is all i'm saying madonna's from queens madonna's from detroit um well that's what i said here on wikipedia people from queens but i guess that could be wrong but rest assured i'm sure a lot of people from queens uh, have done Fair enough. pretty well isn't Donald Trump from Queens? Yes, uh, he went to my high school. Wow. Um, it's not true. It's not just for women. I actually love it when gen esteemed gentlemen like Mr. Um, His Honor Fabricant um, enjoy the book because but this I really like. Uh, but nonetheless, I think mostly I would imagine the audience is mostly women. I don't I got, think so. It's I got not the impression reading it. I. I got the impression when I was reading it that it was it was kind of a uh, part of a chiclet thing, and again, that's why I came up with. That's why I thought. Now, don't get me wrong. I watched the whole Sex in the, in the City series too, so I could enjoy that. But I, I honestly thought kind of Sex in the City meets Yentl. That was my thought, and I thought you were all three of the lead characters in Sex in the City. In this so, book. Uh, Bernie, do you have a particular uh, part of anecdote from the book that that? that you enjoyed the most, the story that you want to talk about? To be quite honest, after I finished it, I liked the whole arc. And, I, and again, reflecting on it, I thought that I would like to see this as a rom-com film. Well, did, was, is there like a, uh, at the end, is, does Periel uh, grow? Does she, she realize something about Yeah, herself? she does. She rides off into the sunset with her current husband. Does she realize? You're still married, right? Current, current, I don't know. After this quarantine, I'll get back to you. Has he read it? My husband? No. He apparently, she goes through a series of these guys who were sort of, you know, her, her first two major loves are seriously flawed in some way. And it, she makes the point that 
she she loves them, but there are things about them that are irredeemable. Is there a scene at the end where like she's at the airport and Philip Roth is running? <laughs> that would make a good ending. And, you know, and 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 says, "I have to get." And the plane's pull pulls away from the jetway, but Philip Roth says, "I have to." I'm in love with the girl on the plane, and and the gate agent says, oh, "You're in love." Hold on a second, and calls the pilot, and he comes back. I well, have. Go ahead. I was going to say. I was going to say the 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 denouement of the of the book is where she meets. She finally meets Guy, who she describes as this really tall, dark, handsome Sabra. Strong, Somebody silent type, you know, that kind of thing. He's not tall. Like That's how he's described, is this, this very confident guy. He walks into a room, all the heads turn, you know, that kind of thing. Pretty, he's pretty good looking. I will give him that. I only met him once. I don't remember being tall. Is he tall? He's like 5'11". He's not no. super tall. Not super tall. Um, I will say this. I was shocked that Philip Roth blew me off. If I'm being really, if I'm being really honest with you guys, I was really episode. shocked. There's an old episode of the Tonight Show where this hot young actress talks about like uh, wanting to hook up with Philip Roth. What the hell was her name? Um, was it Adrian Barbeau? Maybe I think it was Adrian Barbeau. It was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Adrian Barbeau, and she was on the, talking to Johnny Carson about uh, Philip Roth. He had a nice rack. Hold on. Go ahead. Yeah. It was, no, I mean, it was, and there were like uh, several. Um, he dated a man that claimed to be Philip Roth. That's funny. Although, I don't know if she ever um, verified. In those days, you couldn't just go online. It wasn't so, you could, you could, you could pretend to be somebody in those days. But Adrian Barber was hot. So, you know, Philip Roth, I guess. Um, I, I can't remember who I told it to, but I told that Philip Roth story to somebody. Yeah. And, and the person, the guy I told said something to the effect of, well, now she, she, got, she was acting like a guy. Yeah. Like, because guys do that. Yeah. Right? They'll, they'll do this thing and they expect, and the, the woman just will blow them off and yeah. they'll be completely gobsmacked yeah. by it, right? Yeah. Um, just to clarify, Adrian Barbeau said she dated a man that claimed to be Philip Roth. But then she saw a picture of Roth on a book jacket and realized she was not dating Philip Roth. <laughs> that's, <funny. laughs> that, that's something that could only happen in the pre-internet era, that you could actually get away with that for any length of time. That's incredible. Um, you could actually lie to people in those days. But so it, it really was humiliating to get blown off by him. And then what happened was, is that I got an invitation to this very fancy literary party. Um, that I think like I that they had called me and said that like he had invited me to or something like that. That's Adrian Barbeau back in her. Uh, that was that was that's when she was Adrian Barbeau, and then um, this is her now. Well, well, I think she still looks pretty good now. I mean, she does look good. She looks great. Oh, she shit. played Rodney Dangerfield's wife in. Uh, oh, was that her? Okay, what, uh, Back to School. I back think was school, the movie. Yeah, yeah. All right, now, yeah, that's coming back to me. No, don't make that snide remark. This is a woman in her mid-70s. Like, what do you, what do you think she's going to look like? She looks great. Does she look great? Okay, maybe you're right. I, I've seen, I've seen uh, women in there, like Sophia Loren. I mean, there's, there's women in her 70s who... She, she has that... This is the thing. This is the thing. She doesn't look great to me because she has that typical look of a woman who couldn't bear to let herself quite grow old naturally, so she has work done. Does she, add, does she have work done? Looks to me. And they add, they add, you know, like a little bit at a time, they add work done. And, 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 and at some point, imperceptibly, it crosses some kind of threshold where it just looks kind of like a Madame, uh, Madame Tussauds Tussauds, uh, wax museum version of themselves, you know? Like, you've ever seen Jackie Mason today? Like, he just, it doesn't, nobody really looks like that. And Pull up Jackie Mason. Uh, uh, well, Jackie, I don't know the Jackie's. What, what did Jackie Mason have work done to look like? Yeah, I don't know that he's had work done. <laughs> he have wasn't preserving. Hold on, I'll show you. But Adrian Barbeau, I mean, she's an actress. She's got to keep up. I mean, there are things you got to do, right? I mean, with this kind profession. of scrutiny, look at the scrutiny. Well, unfortunately, look, there. there are, you ever read like Star Magazine or some of these magazines that will have a whole section called Stars Without Makeup? Yeah. And, and, they, and, and the whole point is to try to catch attractive women well he's he's 89 or 90 years old you know. is that Ruth better than okay but but here here's a perfect example so to dan we we could we talk every day with bernie's dad right yes 
Bernie's dad is 86. Oh, yeah, that's true. He looks great. Right? Pull up a picture of Bernie's dad. I don't, I don't have one, unfortunately. Not ready. He looks like a, he looks like a, a good-looking 86. He doesn't look... He doesn't look anything weird like that. That's all I'm saying. That look looks weird. great. But, yeah. but, but to Periel's point, is like, you know, this, the pressure on stars to stay good looking when you have Star Magazine have, or, or people or whoever saying, Here, here's a, you know, pictures of stars without makeup, trying to embarrass attractive women that have aged. And uh, it, it's just, it is the scrutiny and, the, and people make fun of aging uh, women especially, but men too. You have that, people like Noah pulling up pictures of them on the internet. That, um, and I've caught myself doing it too, seeing a picture of an aging actress and being like, oh, God. And, uh, and, and I stop myself and say, well, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a horrible thing to uh, think like that. But then again. Uh-huh. Look at that. Six, 65 years old. She's 65, yeah, right. <laughs> Sophia Loren is super hot. Wow. Okay. So is Lauren Hutton. Have you seen Lauren Hutton? She that's, looks that's amazing. Lauren now. Okay. I mean, I don't think she's been. I mean, she might have had some surgery done as well. I don't know. I mean, these pictures are so airbrushed. And all that. All right, whatever. In any case. In any event, the point that I was making is that I got an invitation to this very fancy literary party that Philip Roth had invited me to that I thought I was finally being vindicated. And I was so excited to go. And I was picking up my outfit. And I was like, I'm finally going to be able to fuck this guy. And then I got, a, and then I got an email like, three hours later telling me that they invited me by accident. Oh, that's, I forgot about that part, yes. <laughs> I didn't even know you, I mean, that's horrible. Why did they just let it slide? It was so I mean, humiliating. Couldn't they just let you come and how, you wouldn't have ruined the party that badly. Yeah, but it was like one of the, okay, but pick up, pull up a picture of him when he was like in his, you know, yes, that's what he looked like when I was. Um, and you'd have gone through with it nonetheless. I mean, I I don't know. You know, it's easy to say what you would have, or that's that's what he looked like. I'm sorry, he looks all right. Okay, this is this is the unpleasant truth: is that the the things that traditionally um, make a woman attractive don't last as well as the things that make a man attractive. So, so unfortunately, men in their seventies have an have a higher average retention of their looks than women do there's exceptions all around but you know the, the, the things that make it a feminine beauty whatever that is they they wilt uh, earlier than you know man can be rustic and you know yeah i look at clint eastwood he's like 90 he looks he's still he's still women still want to bang him but this is the patriarchy that i try to explain well, i don't think it's a patriarchy i think it's just how we are geared how we are first of all woman i mean if you're looking for evolution what does a man want a man wants a woman that's fertile Fertile Myrtle, and uh, that, and a man can blow a load up and in, up into his seventies. Okay, we have a judge here. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this stuff. Um, I know. Uh, so you get fired. Do you wear clothes under that robe? <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that feminine beauty has much to do with patriarchy or society. I think a lot of it's ingrained. They've done studies at certain uh, facial uh, proportions. Um, okay, I mean, considered universally pleasing. Certain body, a hip to waist ratio are considered universal. They're all cultural. These are all created. Why do you think culture developed? I recall reading reading and learning that uh, makeup, uh, women's makeup, was to emulate secondary sexual characteristics. That's correct. Which would mean that's more of a biological response rather than a cultural response. Right. Yeah. Ariel, one thing is for sure, Dan Dan hit it, that um, if you believe in evolution, which I presume you do, and you understand the whole the whole basis of evolution is passing on your genes, right? Like that people even say that the gene that we are we are the, ge- the we are the genes way of uh, continuing themselves. We we are actually the what's being used, and obviously, there's no reason to be attracted to a woman past her fertility age. Okay. Evolution evolutionary evolutionarily, if a man were to have no preference between having sex with a girl who was fertile and the sex with the girl who wasn't fertile, mm-hmm. if he found them equally attractive, he would have a much less chance of passing on his genes. Right. So in perfect sense. 
makes perfect sense that a woman would no longer be attractive around the age or that around the age of menopause, as opposed to a man, since men can have sex, men can um, impregnate a woman basically till they die. Yeah. Really no reason, or not much. I, you know, not much reason that a woman want to wouldn't continually be attracted to a man. So that's just, you know, so I'm not saying that's true, but it's certainly plausible theory. You know, sure. I think it is true. I, I think it's unfortunate. I think it's, look, I didn't make the rules. If I created this universe, it wouldn't be, it would be a lot more equity. Everybody would get laid. Everybody would look good. Um, well, I wasn't looking out for number one, Dan. I didn't invent this, <laughs> uh, this, this hell that we're living in called, <clears throat> called uh, life and, and the rules we're in, we, that we have to obey. Okay, it's, but it's, when it's you women look- losing their looks and men too, but- Ariel, I want to tell you something. Don't feel bad about Philip Roth because obviously you're still carrying the scars of being turned down by Philip Roth. But I want to tell you this. How old was he at the time? He was I don't 70s. know. I was probably 30. No, how old was he? How old was I he? I know. I'm thinking. I mean, oh. he was well into his late 70s, I would okay. guess. Mid so this 70s, is the thing. Late 70s. You were too hot. A man at that age cannot rely, cannot count on sexually performing. And the last thing he wants to do, be humiliated oh, that's an interesting by, by not being able to please a young, hot girl. You think he, you can't believe he turns you down. I'm telling you, the way you, ha- you, you came on too strong. You intimidated him. He's, who knows if he could even get it up. With that's, that was pre-Viagra days, probably. That is certainly one possibility. Absolutely. I 100% agree with Noam that that might have been the reason. Well, yeah. when I took his diaper off, was, he wasn't interested. You could have killed him. I don't know what to tell you. Um, well, that that is a very kind um, read, Noam. No, I'm, I'm so, totally serious. Listen, even when I when I was in my forties, you know, if the girl was super hot, it's a little intimidating, you know, like like oh my god. So, but in your 70s, moving on 80, who knows what's working and what's not working. He was incredibly, flirt- I mean, he was like over the top flirtatious. Yeah, he was having night. fun. Right, well. Was he single at the time? Does anybody know? Yeah, I think he was. He was? Yeah. Don't you remember the joke about the frog? No. What's the joke about the frog? The guy's walking down, old man's walking down the beach and the, the frog says, old man, if you... If you uh, give me a kiss, I'll turn into a beautiful woman. I'll give you the best blowjob you ever had. The old man keeps walking. And the frog says, oh, man, did you hear me? I said, if you give me a kiss, I'll turn into a beautiful woman and give you the best blowjob you ever had. So the old man picks up the frog and puts the frog in his pocket. And the frog screaming from the pocket, oh, man, didn't you hear what I said? You have to kiss me, and I'll give you the best blowjob you ever had. And the old man says, I know, but at my age, I think I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you were his talking frog periel he, he was flirting with you he's having fun he enjoyed you he, he didn't want he didn't want he didn't want the blowjob he wanted the talking frog right you were the talking frog well <laughs> i love yeah, that maybe joke. maybe <laughs> um did i tell it all right dan yeah it's fine it was, yeah, it's okay. a funny joke no it's hard to tell a joke but go ahead. you know all these jokes that people you know i mean Sometimes I hear some of these street jokes and I wonder why, why are comedians even in business? There's so many good jokes that have been written. <laughs> we don't even, and we don't even know who wrote them. Yeah. I want to tell you guys they're, something. They're, they're a lot better than a lot of jokes that, you know, comedians tell, whatever. You guys have a jaded yeah, I thought of the talking frog bit. Um, <laughs> I want to tell you guys something, because, and this is really true. I was a real tomboy growing up and I was never even aware of if I was cute or not, you know, like I never really paid attention to that stuff. I was always, you know, I had a big mouth and I was funny and I had a lot of guy friends and I had a lot of girlfriends too. And when I sold my first book, On My Knees is my second book, I was 26 years old and my agent told me that they wanted to use a picture of me on the cover of the book. And I was, that Penguin wanted to use a picture of me. Penguin published my first book. And I was so enraged and confused and um, I was like, why do they, and this was, but there was no Facebook then, like there was nothing like that. And I was like, why do they care what I look like? Why, like this book has nothing to do with anything like that. Why they just, because they think I'm hot. Um, Whose choice was it to pose you nude? 
it was mine. It was mine. Um, I mean, I designed, I designed and creative directed the covers of both of those books, but I realized that, you know, 25 years old that like, I was either going to have to get on board and use this to my advantage or not. Um, but it really is, it's a jarring thing. Um, and you know, you could argue with, you know, the sort of decisions that I've made. Um, but. Can I ask you something about what you just said? Sure. I'm, I'm a little confused. So you, you seem to be angry that they wanted to put you on the cover. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you thought to exploit your looks, right? Yeah. But it, but it was your choice to pose in the nude. You, for those who don't know, Ariel's first book has a picture of her in the nude. Yeah. On the cover. That's but right. that was your choice. Right. Well, I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well fucking do it. Did anybody? But nobody asked you. That's my point. Is that nobody asked you to do it? And that's certainly more salacious than. But the, than but the name it. of the book is the only bush I trust is my own. <laughs> well, that's that's, so that's it's kind of you know it's got. It, 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 it could it have completely been a burning, sense. Could have yeah. put an Abraham theme to him talking a burning bush, which actually would have been more interesting about not trusting God, not trusting the bush. But anyway, but yeah, you chose to go the obvious route and have your own bush. But well, it was also a riff on George Bush. I know. Okay. Right. Um, but and my bush or or lack thereof. But in any Nobody event, has a bush anymore. That's sort of a um, <laughs> uh, anachronism, uh, is it not? I think it came back a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you would know better than I do. Well, the last one I've seen, it, it was the last vagina I've seen, and please no jokes about pedophilia, we don't need that, uh, was an adult woman. And, yeah. and she was completely without, um, without hair. You know? okay. Completely. Yeah, so I mean, and that was, that was in 2019. So um, at least, my experiences aren't really, they're limited. You might have to talk to another comic to really get a better sense of what's going on out there. But I think the, the fully shaved is still uh, uh, in style. Mm -hmm. Noted. Well, on that note, we never got, well, we never got to Periol's anus, but I guess we'll do, we can, we can make this a two-part episode if you want. <laughs> uh, we did talk about, somewhat about it, but, uh, but neither you nor I were that anxious to, to delve deeply into her anus, if you will, if you pardon the formulation. You guys are too much. <laughs> what, um, can we have some law questions now? Well, if you have any, Ber Bernie is... If you have any. Is I, I deal with a very slim uh, specialty, so... What's your specialty? I, it's workers comp, workers, workman's compensation. Yeah, there's not, look, let's face it. I mean, there's, there's a reason John Grisham never wrote a book about workman's comp. Although maybe there's, maybe there's something in there that could be made into a book, but generally it's, um, you know, not considered fodder for fiction. But you, how did you meet Noam? Did you, you met Noam for your younger brother, right? It was your younger brother. No, actually, well, this is kind of funny. Uh, I don't even know if Noam remembers this, but I was his student advisor at Tufts when he first what? came to Tufts. Yep. You were on my that. yep. You were on my list of student advisees. Yeah, I was a uh, I was a junior when you came on board. And I never met you. I know that there were two that never met me. You and Caroline Kennedy was also one of my uh, really uh, Caroline Kennedy Schlossberg. Yep. You went to Tufts. Yep. I would think that somebody with that family name would have gone to Harvard or something. And not that Tufts is a bad school, but no, no, no. When, when you go to when you go to a school like Tufts and you have that name, you're a shitty student. This is what I told you about Chris Cuomo going to Fordham Law School. Fordham Law School is a perfectly good law school, but if you're Chris Cuomo and you go to Fordham Law School. That's so you're Caroline Kennedy Schlossberg, or I guess at the time she was not a Schlossberg. No, she was Caroline Kennedy. And what was funny about that? Of course, I didn't know who Noam was. I just I saw Noam Dwarman from New York, and I. Just assumed I, I kind of knew, you know, there were dime a dozen of that. But then Caroline Kennedy's name was on the list as well. And I told my grandmother, who was over the moon, she retold that I was Caroline Kennedy's advisor, like to everybody that would listen. And I was embarrassed to tell her, I never, she went to the grave not knowing that I never met Caroline Kennedy because Caroline Kennedy didn't, her feet didn't even touch the ground at Tufts. She lived at an off campus mm -hmm. uh, hotel or something. and never showed up. It was like, she was like the football player in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, they just yeah, they didn't even games. know he goes there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was that kind of thing. 
It's a good reference. And then, and then and by then, Noam had uh, had met my brother, and, and they became roommates and, and best of friends. And uh, I not Steve Don. I'm looking some old pictures. Caroline was very cute. Yeah, she was I, a candidate. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're all good looking. You know, I mean, that was pretty ugly in that family. One of my best friends in my class went to went to Brown with John John, uh, and. Um, he always said to me that uh, John had a, an, just, he just had an aura about him. You know, he, uh, there was just something about him. You knew he had stature when he, when he walked around. He was apparently very nice, but there was something about him. Why would you want to be a student advisor? Is that, is it, was, that not like- it was just one of those things, you know, that night, you know, people just to show him around the campus and, and answer know, questions why do, why do, about something. Why, why do priests want to, uh, you know, and why didn't you ever meet me? I probably just didn't well, show up. Other boys. You didn't show up. That's the I, way I, was. I met a bunch of people. I reached out to everybody on the list. You never responded. Thought he could play Caroline Kennedy Schlossberg. Yeah. You I and I talked, we, you, you and I did talk about this way, way back in the day after you had met know. Don, but. So, you know, everybody, everybody like brings their kids up to college and all that stuff. I went to college by myself. I packed up, I packed up a car, I packed up my, my father never visited me in college for four years. Um, I did everything myself. Very independent. I didn't. I didn't bother with orientation, or I did the same thing in law school. I never even went to orientation. It's just so so. It's so tedious to sit in those things. I couldn't take it. So anyway, a misanthrope even then, huh? I, I don't know if it's misanthrope. I just I just you know what? It's a little ADD maybe. It's a little ADD. I, I always do have trouble um, sitting still. You were friends with. Uh, were you friends with uh, Tracy Chapman? Was there when you were there? Yeah, I was friends with Tracy. I mean, I was a friend. I. I, they knew Tracy Chapman. We used to jam. We used to jam, Tracy. Anyway, Tracy. you can get Tracy on, uh, Periel. Can you, can you, or at least ask? Noam, can I have Tracy Chapman's email address? I, I haven't, I haven't spoken to her since we, we left Tufts. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even sure she'd remember me. There's a good chance she wouldn't remember me, but we oh, definitely. you're so unforgettable. Well, then she'd remember me. But um, there's a story but, about um, you uh, working at a convenience store and buying a big house and living in the suburbs. She wasn't an economics major at Tufts. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a story. Brian Copelman is involved in that too, right? Didn't Brian Copelman. Yeah, he he discovered Tracy. His dad. He discovered Tracy Chapman at Tufts and and um, brought her to his dad, who got her a record deal. Oh wow! So, yeah. And there's also isn't there a story about you and Don? Thinking you won the talent show until Tracy Chapman. Yeah, we were sure we, we sure it was in the bag till the last act went on and sang, um, Sorry, it's all that you can say. And like, oh, we, oh, we just saw the gold, you know, the, the gold medal cup just evaporating as Tracy Chapman just was just unbelievable. I mean, she was unbelievable. She was exactly the way she was four years later when she became a world star. She was completely. Developed. She had all those songs already written at Tufts. All those songs on that first album were basically all written. We'd heard them all already, most of them. And then you know Steve Periel, right? Yes, I and know, and um, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Steve, Steve was the best man at Noam's wedding. Just to be clear, there's Steve Fabricant's brother. Steve is has is known. He doesn't like. I'm not even going to say that because he always gets angry when I bring this up. But he has a nickname that he doesn't love. Uh, Little Dick. <laughs> No. no, not that <laughs> one. The other nickname. <laughs> oh, no. But he—he—he's he, he, a beloved member of the Comedy Cellar family. He works uh, outside, um, <laughs> and uh, he's the one that when you come to the Comedy Cellar, back when the Comedy Cellar was open, uh, and you had to, he would have the list of reservations, and he would, and 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 you would come over and say, "Yes, my name, you know, whatever, Smith," and he would say, "Smith too, okay," and he would not look at you. He would smoke a cigarette. And he wouldn't even look at the customers. He gave you the Steve Rubell treatment. If you remember Steve Rubell from Studio 54. From Studio 54, sure. Contempt for the audience, and, they, and, and that was part of his charm. Contempt for the customers, I should say. Well, Steve is the, uh, the tallest and the best looking of the Fabricant brothers. He is, <laughs> as Dan always likes to say, ageless. Forever right? young. Forever young. Yeah. Forever Perio, young. You've seen the picture of young Steve, right? <clears throat> no, go, go ahead, Perio. I mean, go ahead, Bernie. I'll bring it up when you're And... Everybody loves him. Everybody loves him and adores him. He's got millions of friends all over the place. Yeah, he, he, but he was, but, 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 in terms of his earning power, he is not the star of the family in that regard. Well, I don't want to talk about earning power. There's more to life. This there is, is more uh, to life. oh, 
Okay. Young Steve. You got, you got clearance for that piece of tape? Look at that uh, 80s mullet he's got. That's <laughs> not Steve. That's Steve? That's, that's Steve. Steve. Yeah. Where? Oh, my God. That's insane. That is 19... That's Don's wedding. Eight. I'm okay. guessing. No, no, later. Yeah. 90s. It's 90s. Don's wedding. In the 90s. That's... He was married in the 80s. Married in the 80s. Oh, in the 80s. Oh, no. I was married in Maybe 89, yeah, maybe 89. I was married in 89. He was married in 88. 88, okay, you would know. It right. looks like a real 80s, like, you know, uh, the asshole in, in, in every 80s movie. Looks like Tom Cruise and, and Dennis Quaid had a baby. Really? No, he was, he was, always, he was always the well-liked guy. I mean, he, anybody would do anything for him, and he would do anything for anybody. Aw. <clears throat> so. For the love of God, Noam. <laughs> He's still, he's still uh, a beloved member of the Comedy Cellar family. I'm quite fond of him. Um, any, he's any the Fabricant brothers when they played hockey. All right, we got to go. Okay. Um, Thanks for having me on, Perriello. It was very oh, nice to meet you. Bernie, it was so nice to meet you. I just want to tell you guys that this was really nice, um, and especially with you guys and with the seller and um, really the seven year anniversary of um, the book. So thank you for, thank oh, you for happy having Happy anniversary. Hey, thank Don't you. Go buy On My Knees. Wherever <laughs> fine books are sold. Wherever the books are sold, except for the, except for the table in front of the Village Underground where that guy sells books. <laughs> Looking forward to the sequel, Periel. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I appreciate it. Podcast at the sequel will be my, all my aching back. <laughs> Podcast at ComedyCellar.com for comments, suggestions, and well wishes. And uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Stay safe. Adios. Bye-bye. And you can follow us on Instagram at Live From The Table.